The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Lord Tim Clement-Jones, who is the former chair of the House of Lords Artificial Intelligence Select Committee and co-chair of the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Artificial Intelligence. He is a spokesman for the digital economy in the House of Lords. So, Tim, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Hi, Ron. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining us. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role, as well as your time as the chair for the UK's House of Lords Select Committee on Artificial Intelligence? Well, I sort of moved sideways into AI because I really started off as a spokesman on the creative industries. And that was very much about music. It was about film. It was about those sorts of creative industries. And the world then became more digital. And it was a question of really understanding that world that made me think, well, actually, parliamentarians in the UK need to have a much, much more detailed understanding of what AI is all about. So I started up what we call an all-party group, which is a very cross-party, non-partisan type of committee, really, to understand more about artificial intelligence, what its impact would be, what its applications were, and so on. And then the House of Lords itself, if you like, the official committee structure in the House of Lords, decided themselves to do an inquiry. And because I'd shown such an interest, they decided that I was the person to chair that. So it all sort of happened in a sort of interesting sideways kind of a way. And then we spent nine months really looking in huge detail, every social, economic, cultural, ethical implication of artificial intelligence, what impact it would have on society and what we need to to do about it. And then we produced a report in April 2018. And really, ever since then, I've been on the road more or less talking about the report and its conclusions, because it does form a very solid body of work, which a lot of people think is very useful in kind of establishing what the UK, and it was called AI in the UK, ready, willing and able, question mark, And it really does put a baseline down for the kinds of activities that we think strategically the UK should be involved in. So I think it was the right report at the right time. And a lot of people since then, and, you know, a year in AI is a very long time. Since then, a lot of people have built further proposals off the back of that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because, you know, the UK has been very influential, actually, in the progress of AI as a whole. Looking back to the beginning of AI, from Alan Turing, who is formative both in the history of computer science as a whole, and of course, the formative in the thoughts around artificial intelligence at the very beginning of AI. And then, of course, later on, that first wave of Mm -hmm. AI, there was influence that UK had sort of bringing that first bump of AI maybe to a simmer, right? Right. In particular, we're referencing the Lighthill Report, where funding topped pretty much after that. So it's interesting. I think that this report that you're bringing on now hopefully has a different tone than that report. I hope so. I mean, it's very interesting because we did look into the history of the sort of AI winters and so on and so forth. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, even people like Jeff Hinton in Canada, basically UK in origin, had a huge influence on machine learning in particular, but, you know, the whole AI field in general. 
Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting. We always cite the sort of the global nature of artificial intelligence counterpoised actually to sort of the traditional assumption of sort of like the centers of technology development. People tend to associate Silicon Valley, but it's actually very different in the world of AI, how global in nature it is. Mm, absolutely. So at the upcoming AI World Government event that's taking place in Washington, D.C., on June 24th to 26th, you'll be speaking about how big data is shaping world economics, regulation, and services. So for our listeners who might be interested in attending, or for those who are maybe listening to this podcast after the event who weren't able to attend, can you provide an overview of what you're speaking at at the conference? Well, I'm going to start at not so much at the opportunity end, because I think a lot of us really understand the opportunities of AI. One obviously needs to touch on that. The opportunities of AI are quite extraordinary, you know, in healthcare, in terms of what it can do, in terms of diagnosis and drug discovery, what it will be able to do. We hope you're enjoying this podcast and sorry for the brief interruption. Cognolytica not only produces the AI podcast that you're listening to right now, but we also generate research and advisory to help companies make sense of AI and cognitive technologies. We also run the most authoritative, vendor-neutral AI and machine learning training and certification on the market. If you're looking to make AI a reality for your organization, our three-day Cognolytica training is for you. If you're interested in attending, you can find pricing and registration on our website at Cognolytica.com. We'll also provide a link in the show notes. We've met many of our podcast listeners in our classes, and we hope that we'll see you there as well. Now back to the podcast. We will be able to do in education, in terms of personalization, in terms of just simply satisfying our wants and needs. But I do think that what we need to do really is not just address the opportunities, is address the risks attendant on, in a sense, unthinking adoption and application of AI. And this is, of course, where I kind of cut to the chase and start talking about the need to retain public trust in the technology. Because, you know, what worries me, and of course, we have some pretty bad examples, things like GM Foods in Europe, where, you know, people react against a new technology for all the wrong reasons. And it means that, in a sense, rather like those kind of AI winters, in a way, innovation is stifled. And, you know, I make for one very keen on the things that AI can do and the need to continue to innovate. But if we don't carry the public with us and we don't keep trust and if they start abreacting against their data being used, for instance, to train new AI systems and algorithms and so on, then we're going to lose. You know, we're not going to be able to develop in the way that we need to. So in a sense, that's the fundamental basis for needing to have an ethical AI system and how do we get there? What kind of international agreements can we come to? Is it appropriate that we put in our set of ethical principles? And then after that, the much more practical issues about, well, how do we find out whether we are actually observing those ethical principles when we apply AI? You know, are algorithms black boxes or should we expect to have explainable AI? Those sorts of issues, you know, really big. Should we have kite marking of our algorithms, for instance, when they're used in various applications, for instance, in financial services? What do we know about the use of algorithms in social media? So there's a whole set of ethical issues that I think needs unpacking. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I know that the UK is trying to position itself as a world leader for ethical AI and helping to create standards. And since you're in the House of Lords, I'm sure that you are helping in some way with that. So will your talk also touch upon that as well? 
It certainly will. And of course, what I'm quite keen to do is not be over hasty about going into regulation. And I think it's very important that if we can get a framework which allows the innovation to take place without, you know, catching people up with too much red tape, with too much regulation, I'd be very happy with that. But of course, you know, you have to regulate in accordance with the way that the market behaves effectively. So, you know, the sooner we can get a common standard of behavior and you know, I'm talking not just nationally or regionally, but internationally and globally. You know, the sooner we can get a common set of those standards, the better, so that people then have an expectation about, you know, how they should be treated by AI systems and developers and businesses that deploy AI then know what's expected of them as well. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because we always keep a close eye on what the world is doing. Like Ron said, AI is global. And it seems that China has one set of laws that maybe are a little lax than the rest of the world. And then the EU has very strict rules on what companies can and cannot do with data around privacy. And the US seems to be somewhere in the middle. So coming up with international laws and regulations and you know policies around this is maybe not going to be super easy, but something that I know a lot of people are looking into. So we're definitely keeping an eye on that as well. No, you're so right, Kathleen, because actually even understanding the differences, I think, is important. And around the time that we've got a conference in D.C., the G20 summit will be taking place in Osaka. And I know that the Japanese government is very keen on the third pillar, if you like, of the Osaka summit, which is innovation. And they're going to be wanting to talk about data governance. And of course, that leads then on to AI ethics and so on and so forth. And I'm very much hoping that there's going to be a fairly broad discussion at the G20 about precisely these kinds of issues. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll need you on again for a follow-up after the G20 summit as well. So I hope, and I hope I won't be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so some people have concerns about the impacts of artificial intelligence on society and the workforce in general, and they're interested in finding ways to ensure that AI will be used and implemented responsibly. Can you talk to us about some of the ethical considerations that governments need to address and possible laws and regulations that will need to be put in place around this? Absolutely. Well, I think the fundamental aspect, and I tend to, you know, it's fairly broad brush, but I tend to sort of introduce this as the key issue, is that AI should be our servant, not our master. And then a certain number of other things follow from that. So that, for instance, when AI is trained on data sets, those data sets are not biased. They're not exhibiting the prejudices of the past, if you like, racial, you know, societal, whatever. And also when those algorithms actually process that data, that they process it in a fair way so that, again, people are not disadvantaged. And then so the non-bias aspect is really important. And then the other really important aspect is the question of explainability. And that's slightly more controversial with tech industries. But actually, most people know that ethical design can cater for transparency in AI. You know, of course, it's very difficult to retrofit transparency. But if you actually think in advance about what kind of characteristics should be exhibited by an AI system or an algorithm that you're developing, it is perfectly possible to build in explainability into that algorithm or AI system. So, you know, I don't think, you know, we're asking the impossible of developers. This is just something that we should assume is going to be possible going forward. And there are certain other aspects. I mean, the whole area in the defense field in terms of lethal autonomous weapons, you know, in the broader sense, we should not allow AI to actually be used for malicious 
or uh, destructive ends. You know, there should be something rather like the nuclear non-proliferation treaties that deal with lethal autonomous weapons. You know, that's another very important factor. And there are, you know, other forms of, in terms of the security of AI systems and so on. But I think that those are the key elements, you know, it should be beneficial, it should be transparent, it should be non-biased, and it should not be used for destructive ends. Yeah. Exactly. And I think for a lot of our enterprise listeners, the folks who are trying to implement perhaps not AI in the broadest sense to either build anything that's close to an AGI, but really more to very specific tactical purposes around recognition or predictive analytics or conversational APIs, they're really looking at AI as basically helping provide, moving them down that path of digital transformation, really help move them to provide greater response to their customers, improve operations, and just generally give people a more seamless experience with your organization. And so a lot of these enterprises look at AI as part of this transformational wave, just like the internet and mobile and big data and these other big movements have been. So can you give us some insight in how you believe and also perhaps how you've seen AI and machine learning helping to transform organizations and bring them closer to their vision and their goals of digital transformation? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, when you look at the experience of those who now use AI systems in the legal profession alone, it does get rid of a huge amount of drudgery in terms of things like due diligence and discovery of documentation drafting of standard form documents and so on. I mean, it's extraordinary in a very, very short space of time, maybe two years in major law firms, particularly, well, in London, but internationally now, the difference that that has made to the just the experience of individual lawyers. Now, of course, these have implications. When people install these systems, they need the right kind of corporate ethical governance to say, what are the implications? Are they going to be beneficial for our people? Or, you know, what are the downsides? How do we cater for those who are going to be adversely impacted versus those who are going to be beneficially impacted? So I do think that AI brings more probably than the introduction of any other technology currently, a set of corporate governance questions forward, which really haven't actually been addressed before. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting, too, because you touched upon this a little, how artificial intelligence can help take away some of that mundane tasks that people are doing. There's been some concern that the role of AI will take away jobs from people and how it affects labor and employment in general. Can you provide some insights into how you're seeing AI affecting the job market? Yes, I think that there is quite a big issue. And there are two areas that I think are are really quite a problem. I think the first is the, if you like, the routine jobs. And you see this in financial services, you see it in accounting, you see it in the legal profession. Those kind of white collar, less well-paid jobs, which relied on, you know, certain level of expertise, but not high levels and, and a quite a degree of routine, they are beginning to disappear. And certainly the paralegal type jobs in the legal profession rapidly diminishing over time. So that's one factor. The second factor is the whole training area, because the more that you have senior lawyers relying on AI systems, expert AI systems, which are extremely useful in terms of them really almost being able to control how the transaction goes because, you know, they can do all the analysis themselves using technology. The trouble is that that has an impact on the training of some of the younger lawyers. And I'm a little bit worried about the hollowing out of that experience 
for some of those younger lawyers. And we're going to have to really think of ways of much better team working, much better augmented reality, virtual reality type training mechanisms to make sure that what we're not really just creating is a wonderful set of tools for the more experienced lawyers and then not having the experience for the younger lawyers who then don't have the opportunity to climb the ladder. So Mm -hmm. I think we have to look forward, you know, and if you look at some of the sort of forecasts, you know, there are some who think that sort of 70% of jobs are liable you know, to automation, which is a very heavy forecast. I don't believe that myself. I'm actually rather optimistic, ultimately, that new jobs will emerge. But things are moving at such a pace at the moment. If people simply look at this as a way of getting productivity gains, then I think we are going to be in trouble. I think there is already some significant concern about the use of automation and intelligent automation, especially as these systems have more decision-making authority or control. And of course, obviously, I'm referring to what's happened recently. A lot of the pilots now are getting concerned about the automation of cockpits and not gaining enough training to know what to do in a situation where it's not that you're necessarily giving up control. It's just in the situation where the humans must retain control, they don't have enough experience to know how to actually utilize that control. Because it's one thing to say, well, the systems are going to be given this authority to have control, except in the situations where they should not have control. That may be acceptable from a policy perspective, but from like an actual practical perspective, when you lack the experience to do that, then you might as well have given up control altogether if you don't know what to do when you're given a position of control. Ron, that's 100%. And, you know, without being too doom-laden, I do think that the max 737 system, I think it's a real wake-up call, actually. I mean, we really do have to understand what is going on. And, you know, this reinforces, I think, the ethical framework. Exactly. So I think one of the things we've been looking at is trying to understand a lot about that looking forward to where these systems are going, where the future of AI is bringing us. It's interesting, there's the technology portion of the conversation, where is AI heading from a technological perspective? But of course, a lot of the more interesting things is where is it heading from a societal perspective? And some of these harder questions, we had a, for those listeners on the podcast, we talked about autonomous systems, we talked about sort of the danger of level three and level four autonomous vehicles, which is basically the situation with the MAX pilots where they have limited control, but then when the system needs you to take control, it needs you to take control immediately. And we were sort of wondering what's going to happen when we have a legion of drivers that have not really had to have had full control of their vehicles, given full control of their vehicles. So it's yeah, a- and then take over at the most dangerous, serious, critical time. <laughs> right. You're about to run into the... Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, it does really bring it home to you, doesn't it? Completely. And I think that's the unintended consequences, right? So, but I think we can look forward here. We can look positively here. So I, I think this is kind of where I would love for you to put down the crystal ball and you know the wizard's hat and look forward to the future. Like, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its applications to corporations, to governments, to society and beyond? Well, I think it could be fantastic if we get it right. If we get that overall, if you like, benevolent AI agreed ethically and we have common agreement on that, it has fantastic applications. I mean, even just in education, for instance, the personalization of education where AI systems actually help us learn in a way that is appropriate for each individual, I mean, would be a fantastic thing. Teachers, you know, would be using all their talents, but they would have the tools to personalize education for everyone. You know, we would have a much better understanding of our own healthcare forecast, our predictions about our own healthcare, and we'd be prompted to look after ourselves to a much greater degree and diagnosis and so on will be transformed over a period of years. Government, for instance, 
in terms of its citizens, if it's adopted in the right way, you know, we could have a much closer relationship to the decisions that are made over our lives. And we would not have to ensnare ourselves with form filling and so on and so forth to anything like the same degree. I think the relationship between citizen and the state could be transformed as well. I think there are so many areas of life that could be hugely beneficial through AI. But, you know, it's a big if. I think that's some great insight. We really appreciate having your thoughts here. And obviously, you're in a position to help move this conversation forward in some very interesting ways. I think everybody's looking at how different corners of the world are handling this movement towards more intelligent systems. So we really do appreciate having you on this podcast and sharing your insights with us. Well, thank you very much, Ron. Thank you, Kathleen. It's been a huge pleasure. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. And listeners, as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group. And make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also, subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.